Turn, if you would, tonight to the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 7. We wrapped up the first half of Ecclesiastes last week, and Solomon kind of, at the end of chapter 6, we see him kind of tie a lot of the things together that he has talked about as we continue to look at this theme in Ecclesiastes of living a meaningful life. Throughout the first half of the book, Solomon spends a lot of time uh, chasing down uh, what does it mean to live uh, a meaningful life, or where, where are you going to look for that? And really, I guess I should say, Solomon spends a lot of time telling us where not to look to find meaning and purpose in life, and that's here in this life under the sun alone. And he constantly points us uh, to different different places and things and shows us that there is hevel, there is emptiness, there is vanity in these things. And so as we close chapter 6 and go into chapter 7, Solomon, the, the book kind of takes a turn here. It, it kind of goes away from that, um, that, that way that he has presented things. And it, and it looks a little bit different as you get into chapter 7. You'll notice tonight, um, if you've been here for part of this study, you'll notice even just the way that the text flows and even is maybe laid out in the translation you have in front of you um, looks different uh, because it's a different type of material that's being presented. Um, but it's still with the same theme of, of living a meaningful life. And so Solomon tonight talks about in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verses 1 through 14, the path to living wisely, which doesn't seem um, too off base for the wisest man who ever lived, right? That's one of the things that we might expect from him. As you go through life, you know, one of the things you're going to find out is sometimes you don't find what you're looking for. And maybe that's a daily occurrence for you because you lose a lot of things, right? Uh, sometimes you uh, don't get what you wanted out of something. You know, we've all had that in our lives. Maybe it's a, something as uh, simple as a failed trip to the supermarket, to the dream birthday gift that never materializes. You know, we've all experienced in our lives letdown and disappointment. And how many of you in life have ever been disappointed by something or someone? Okay, don't look around, okay? But we experience those disappointments in life. And a temporal experience of, of missing out on something or being disappointed by something uh, or failing to find something that we're looking for is, is frustrating, but it can be very easily overcome. I mean, sometimes not finding what you're, you're looking for, being disappointed and let down is as simple as if it's just, you know, you ran to the store to look for something is going to another store to find what you were looking for or waiting for that thing to, to come back out. But when we're looking for fulfillment in this life and we don't find it, when we're looking um, for meaning under the sun, an understanding of, of what we're experiencing and we're looking within ourselves and we're looking to our experiences and we're looking to um, whatever this life has to offer, it very quickly becomes this endless, fruitless chase, right? So that's why Solomon said, not only is it hevel, he said it's a striving after the wind because you can, you can go and you can go and you can go, but you're never going to get there. You're never going to find it. And so Solomon has taken us on this tour through the meaninglessness of life under the sun. We become well acquainted with hevel in the first half of Ecclesiastes and knowing all things under the sun will not bring you satisfaction and will in fact sometimes make no sense at all. 
can be a maddening experience. And it has driven many into a downward spiral of unfulfilled pursuits, angry behaviors, and destructive habits. Because this is how natural man handles his problems. You know, when, when man in and of himself can't understand what is going on, his life kind of spirals out of control and he doesn't know what to do. And, you know, even... Um, you read even stories of those who grew up in uh, Christian homes. I read a story this week um, about a guy who was a pastor, and he, um, you know, he made a profession of faith. He followed what you know what seemed to be the call of his life into the pastorate. And after several years as a pastor, he became a self-proclaimed um, evangelizing atheist, going around. Um, and telling people that God isn't real, and here's how I know that, and talked about all of his experiences in life. And um, just to kind of, long story short, uh, the idea was, you know, he couldn't make heads or tails of life, and so he decided God didn't exist. He became a cynic, right? That's sometimes how we respond to these sorts of things. And so you read six chapters from Solomon of the wisest man who ever lived, and you read all these things, and he's like, I don't understand this. I don't understand this. This is heaven. This is meaningless. This is chasing after the wind. And maybe you're tempted to think, Man, what's, where's this guy going to go with this, right? What's going to happen? Where, where is he going to come out? You know, is he going to go off the deep end of skepticism? And, and then you turn the page to Ecclesiastes chapter 7. When it seems like heaven might overtake the wisest man who ever lived, the wisdom of God resurfaces here to remind us again the need for God in our lives. Now, one of the things we know about Solomon is this. He is a collector and a curator of Proverbs. How many of you knew about, about Solomon? Okay, because there's a book in the Bible that he you know, helped author, and it's called Proverbs, right? We think, well, that's something that Solomon is, is intimately familiar with, and it is. And so here, as we open the second half of Ecclesiastes, the reason it looks different and sounds different is because the Proverbs make an appearance here. The, these, these sayings that, these, that help us in the walk of wisdom. Ecclesiastes has proven to us the futility of life lived under the sun alone. So Solomon now tells us to look at the world through wisdom. Something we must recognize about true wisdom then is this. That the wisdom that Solomon is calling us to have is impossible without knowing God. True wisdom comes only through knowing God and having a relationship with him. Because Solomon would say at the beginning of Proverbs, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom or knowledge. And when you have God's wisdom... You can experience the benefits of that wisdom. You, and here's the thing. The things that Solomon observed, you know, go back to chapter 6, and he talks about um, this, this man that, that has all this wealth and these possessions, and he never has the ability to enjoy, it, to enjoy it. Sometimes we look at things in this life, and we scratch our heads, and we don't really know what to do with it, even as, as Christians. And we may not always understand in the moment what is going on why we've experienced the things we've experienced, or why the world is, frankly, the way it is. But we can rest assured that God knows the answers to all of these things, and he reveals those answers in due time. In the meantime, we can trust him and obey his commands. And so here we see that godly wisdom grants us a better eternal perspective on the things of this life, helping us live to the glory 
of God. Because in reality, what we need to live a life that is pleasing to the Lord is an eternal perspective on this world, on this earth, and on our lives. I have many times in my life, I don't know about you, tried to understand things from my perspective and failed and fallen flat on my face. And it's only when, when you take a step back and you ask the Lord for his help. And again, it doesn't mean I, you always understand what happens. But that's when you find rest and peace and you find that uh, you, can, you can live this life in the joy of the Lord as you live in his wisdom. And so tonight, let's look at the path to wisdom that Solomon gives us here throughout these first 14 verses. And in verses 1 through 4, Solomon tells us that there is a proper perspective there's, that wisdom gives to us. There's wisdom's proper perspective on our lives. And he says in verse 1 that there's true value here to be found in it. He says, a good name is better than precious ointment. And the day of death than the day of birth. Now, one of the things you'll notice as you get into chapter 7, and especially in this section that we're in right now, um, Solomon is going to use the word better quite a number of times. And so you just might want to note that as we go through the, the, the passage tonight. Solomon says, this is better, and this is better, and this is better. He wants us to see how much better living in light of the realities of God is as opposed to ignoring them. And he begins... Uh, with that which will set a proper perspective on life. And here's what Solomon says. Solomon says, what will give you a proper perspective on your life is, is your death. Now that sounds paradoxical, doesn't it? But it's the truth. Living in light of the end of your life helps you understand the calling on your life. And what Solomon says here in verse 1 is this. How you live on this earth matters. How you live your life matters. He says a good name is better than precious ointment. What you are and how you're known means more than anything else. He talks here about a precious ointment, and that is something that could be expensive and luxurious. But such a luxury is nothing compared to the value of your reputation and who you are. So therefore, Solomon says, because of that, right, it says, in the day of death than the day of birth. Just as a good name is better than precious ointment, the day of your death is better, the day of death is better than the day of your birth. And what does he mean by that? Does he mean that, that it's just over and let's get it over with? No, what he's saying is this, if you want to talk about someone's character, you want to talk about the perspective on someone's life. The day of their death is going to give you that proper perspective on their life, not the day of their birth. It is better to come to the end of your life and have a good reputation than to have a glorious beginning. Listen, our lives start out in all sorts of ways. We had different backgrounds and different parents and different upbringings. What you do, though, with the time that is given to you on this life, in this earth, is what matters. The value of your life's work isn't realized then or accomplished until the end of your life. And so how you finish the race is of utmost importance. So therefore, Solomon says we need to live with the end ever in view. We need to live, verses 2 through 4, with the complete picture in mind. He says, 
it is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. For this is the end of all mankind, and the living lay it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by sadness of face the heart is made glad. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of, the, of fools is in the house of mirth. So if you're going to, in order to grab wisdom's or grasp wisdom's proper perspective, we need the complete picture. So therefore, Solomon says, it is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. In the house of mourning that Solomon is talking about, he's talking about a home where people are weeping for one who has passed away. He's talking about one, uh, he's talking about the end of life. And even just thinking on that, Perhaps that is an uncomfortable thing for us. As we read these verses and we consider these pictures, like Solomon saying it's better to be in the house of mourning than in the house of feasting, we think, you know, I think I'd rather be in the house of feasting, celebrating life's great accomplishments. As you consider the context of ancient Israel in which Solomon wrote, these great feasts were given for weddings and other momentous life-altering occasions. In our world today, we relish the times of happiness and big moments that bring joy, gladness, and partying. And in those moments, the difficulty of the world seems to pass from view because we're we're lighthearted and we're happy and we're having a good time. The trials that we face in life, the emptiness that we feel, and the general hardness of life seem so far away. Yet Solomon says that those moments do not give us lasting perspective. He says, instead, we find that in the face of sadness. He says, by the sadness of face, the heart is made glad. We find that perspective in one's end. And so, we have to understand that the end of all mankind is eventually death. Because we are finite beings. We live here temporarily. Our eventual end is death, and even before then, we we cannot live in the feastings forever. So proper perspective is found in what is the eventual end of it all. He says here at the in verse two, as he talks about that it's better to be in the house of mourning. The feasting says, for this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. That phrase talks about uh, taking something to heart, really um, finding value and meaning and instruction in it. Solomon says that those who live wisely will take the, the reality of our temporal lives to heart and do something with it. And we understand then that there is great value in reflecting on one's end. I don't know if you have ever, how many times you have, I should say not if you've ever, because probably most of us in this room have, but how many times you've had the opportunity to sit at a funeral. And as you sit at that funeral, you're reflecting on the life of one who has passed on. All of those, understand that everyone who is sitting in that room, who is here, right, and not here, has the opportunity to reflect on that and take to heart the perspective that it offers in our lives. It's a very wonderful, sobering teaching moment in our lives. Solomon says then, sorrow is better than laughter. And, when, and by now, you know, we've read four verses and we're like, man, this guy, right? He, uh, 
He doesn't like to be happy. Now let me remind you that this is not from Solomon a ban on enjoying the things of life. Solomon is the one who told us in Proverbs 17 verse 22 that a joyful heart is good medicine. Right? Solomon is the one who authored the Song of Solomon, praising the enjoyment of biblical love. It is a call then to understand, not, to understand that sorrow in our lives is a better teacher than laughter will ever be. In sorrow, we, we understand these things that we need to understand, the perspective that we need. Our hearts can truly then be made glad by the moments of sorrow we experience along the way. That's why he says, for the sadness of face, the heart is made glad. And in this we understand the realities of life and how to navigate those in wisdom. So therefore, Solomon says that the heart of a wise person, okay, he talks here, this is the path to living wisely, right? To living out godly wisdom. The heart of a wise person resides where? In the house of mourning. And what does it mean by that? It means that it looks ahead, keeping the end in view. A truly wise man lives with the end in sight. A fool lives in the moment, and how can I find joy in the here and now, and is only consumed with himself and making himself glad. The wise Well, he does not ignore uh, the the goodness of things that God has given him. He lives with the end in view, with eternity in mind. What What we do with our lives and how we finish it in our lives matters. And lest we become jaded at all the hevel Solomon has shown us, we need to understand that godly wisdom is available to help us navigate this life because eternity matters. So we have to live our lives each moment in light of that eternity. And again, we understand. We have to come to grips with the fact that we're not immortal here on this earth. And that sparks two reactions. That sparks the reaction of the wise who applies that knowledge to his life and it changes the way he lives. Because again, wisdom is applied knowledge. So when you come to the realization that you are not immortal, that you will live somewhere forever, that, but, but that's, that forever isn't here. You will live on an eternity, and so what you do with your life here matters, right? You're going to be gone. You either live with, with the reality of, okay, I'm not going to be here forever, so what, I'm, so, so what I do for the Lord and how I see life matters. That's what a wise person does. A fool doesn't apply that at all, and he says, well, I'm just going to fill my life with mirth, and I'm going to, to laugh the life away, and I'm just going to cover up whatever you know, makes me feel good. And ignore the inevitable end. And that's going to do him no good. He's not going to find any answers or any meaning. He may seem like he has fun in this life, but it isn't worth anything. True godly wisdom provides a proper perspective for this life. Not to live in doom and gloom, but to live for the expected end. Right? This is not a call for, for you, you know, for a wise person. Right? This does not mean a wise person you go up to and say, how are you doing? Well, you know. Living in the house of sorrow. Okay? That's not what we're talking about. But living ever with the end in mind. Because we don't know when that end will come. And I think probably the further down the road of life you get, perhaps the more in view you think about those things. Because you've seen that a little more. right? You've seen people come and go. You've seen how, how life 
is, is, is temporary and, and how we live matters. At least I hope that that comes with that experience. But you don't have to, to be a certain age to have this view. Now you can take this view at an early age that, that life, life has a, an endpoint in how I live in this life matters and live wisely. Live with eternity in view and you will live a meaningful life indeed, Solomon says. And as you live with eternity in view, he says we can grow in that wisdom as we make wise choices in who we surround ourselves with. In verse 5, he tells us this is where we're going to find true growth. It is better for a man to hear the rebuke of the wise than to hear the song of fools. So living this proper perspective brings us to Solomon's next point, that it is better to hear hard things, rebukes from the wise, and to grow from them than to listen to the merriness of fools. And just, let's be real about who we are as human beings. We hear the word rebuke and we think, ooh, that's not good. Right? Nobody likes that. Nobody likes to, to hear that they're wrong about something. We don't enjoy feeling the blame or the shame for something we've done that is improper and sinful. And so, in that temptation, what do we do? We look around in our lives for people who are just going to reinforce the decisions we make and make us feel good about ourselves. Solomon says that's what fools do. We wish to be surrounded by those who will not challenge us and will instead allow us to make the choices and decisions we feel like making. But Solomon says that's inferior, that, that makes you a fool, that is inferior to hearing rebuke. We should instead surround ourselves with wise people who will help us truly grow and change. We need people in our lives who will challenge our sinful actions, behaviors, and choices. And we should long for those who not only are wise, but want to help others be wise in this life. What does Solomon say in Proverbs? That, that, that a companion of the wise will be wise, but a companion of fools will be destroyed. So we must realize then that this is who we need. We need wise people in our lives, but we also must understand that it is not their job, nor can they make us wise. What do I mean by that? Well, we can put those people in our lives but then how do we respond when they rebuke us for our sin? I mean, you can say, yeah, I want to hear it, but then when you hear it and you don't do anything with it and you don't want to, and you don't want to respond, you know, they can only present the truth. They can't make you do something with it. If we give people permission to challenge our spiritual growth and change, we must be willing to submit our hearts to the Lord for such growth and change. Enjoying the company of those who do not challenge us but just want to have fun in life may seem appealing, but it will do nothing to make us, but make us fools and offer us no lasting growth in the Lord. And that's what Solomon says in verse 6. He says, see what's available through people who uh, don't challenge us spiritually and rebuke us is not lasting growth. Because Solomon says, for as the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of the fools. This also is vanity. The laughter of fools in this life may feel good in the moment, but it is fleeting. It is hevel. 
He likens it to crackling thorns under a pot. If you ever take a strand of thorns, they're, they're dry, right? They're, a lot of times they're, they're small, and they don't really offer you much in the way of kindling if you're trying to start a fire. They may provide a, a shot of quick-burning fuel, but they are small, they are consumed quickly, and offer you no real benefit. They are not, not a lasting source of heat. What does Solomon say about the laughter of fools just like those thorns? They don't last. They give you no return in your life. It won't make you any wiser. It is hevel, that which promises to stay around and disappears. The laughter of fools promises to stay around. It promises to cover up the the, the wrongdoings and and the hard things, but it's not going to last. No spiritual improvement is found in the company of those who will not challenge you in the things of the Lord. No value or lasting effects are with those who reinforce your bad decisions. Now sometimes that person that you bring into your life is yourself. If you think that you have it all figured out, and you don't even want to hear the wise counsel of other people. You are your own fool. You cannot possibly know everything. You need instruction and help in the things of the Lord and in this life. And so when faced with rebuke from those who are wise, our response should be one of thankfulness that though it is hard to hear, it is necessary for our personal spiritual growth. This is the path to wisdom in the Lord. And so as we grow then in wisdom, we will find from the Lord true forbearance for the trials of life. And that's what Solomon talks about in verses 7 through 10, wisdom's forbearance. And we see in verse 7 that wisdom itself is antagonized. He says, surely oppression drives the wise into madness and a bribe corrupts the heart. Sometimes we think this, you know, well, if I... If I live the way God says to live and I seek to live wisely, then all of the problems are going to disappear. And you find out that, in fact, that is not the case. Uh, We still live in a fallen world. We still have struggles and trials and bad things that happen. I mean, no one can guarantee that you're going to have an easy life. That's a foolish thing. The wise looks around, Solomon says, in the world And he observes oppression. Solomon himself, in a couple of chapters already, has detailed the oppression that he viewed in the world that he lived in. And it drives a a wise man mad, he says. Because it's not right. The wise is seeking to live in a way that pleases the Lord, and oppression isn't one of those ways. He talks about bribery that corrupts the heart, keeping justice from being served. What do we understand? Wisdom is going to face its own obstacles and wrestle with its own hard things. That is a reality of life. Just because you're seeking to apply the knowledge of God and his word to your life and live wisely doesn't mean you won't struggle. It doesn't mean you won't scratch your head or be tempted to frustration. But even as you live through the trials of this world, seeking God's wisdom, you'll face trying times and In these things, wisdom allows us to act in patience when we face the hard times of this life. And that's what he says here in verses 8 through 10. Here's what wisdom's patience looks like. This is 
what Solomon says, if you're living in a wise way, this is what we need to see as the reality, that better is the end of, the thi- of a thing than its beginning. And the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Be not quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the heart of fools. Say not, why were the former days better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask this. So when faced with adverse conditions or experiences in life, wisdom is in godly patience. Why? Because Solomon says the end of such a thing is better than its beginning. And it's not, the end isn't better simply because, well, that's over, right? We can go to the next thing. It's better because in the Lord, we can be better off for it, for what we experienced in him. So therefore, it is better to be patient in our spirits in such a trial or hardship than to be proud. You see, sometimes we get in these trials and we're tempted to raise our own merits. I mean, look at me. Why am I experiencing this? I mean, I didn't deserve this, right? I mean, I'm better than this. God, I know better than you. Why, Why are you doing this to me? But the idea here is the long haul is better than the shortcut. We can go through the trials of our lives resting in the Lord. And Solomon says in verse 9, Be not quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the heart of fools. We face a temptation to grow angry at what is going on in our lives in trials and hard times. Because here's the thing, in those moments or extended periods of time, whatever they may be, we come to realize just how finite and not in control we are. And when we lose control, we're tempted to get angry because we want to be in charge. We want to set the terms. Solomon says, fools grow angry. If we lose control when we are not in control, we are not living wisely. And anger only resides in the heart of fools. Lastly, Solomon says in times of trial, we are tempted to pine for the days gone by. He says, say not, why were the former days better than these? Instead, wisdom allows us to live in the moment of peace, resting in the Lord. You know, as we go through life, sometimes we think things like this, you know. Well, you know, the old days were better. When we face times of of hardship and struggle, we we think about the good old days. And we have to understand that that the good old days aren't always as good as we remember them, right? We have a tendency to glorify the past and what it used to be like because we we are so frustrated with the trial of the present. Let me give you an example. If you read the Old Testament, you will find a group of people who had been enslaved and set free. Yet, after they were set free, they often pined for the good old days when they were back in that country where they were slaves. And those people are the Israelites, right? How many times do we read in the book of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, you know, things like, well, this, why, when we were in Egypt, right, 
We had this. Did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us out here in the desert? Man, they love to pine for the good old days, right? When they were being beat and made to make bricks. The good old days are not always as good as we think they are. Again, we are not promised in the moment a removal of an affliction or a trial in our lives. We are not promised even a complete understanding or that we will like the outcome. But wisdom that rests patiently in the Lord promises peace in the Lord, no matter what is going on. The Lord works to bring about patience in our hearts, teaching us to rest in him. And there is no possibility of this type of response in our own strength. It takes applying the knowledge of God, living out in living God's wisdom, who he is and what he's done to the reality of what we are facing. And so then we get to the end of this section and we see wisdom's view that it has. In verses 11 and 12, there's great value then in wisdom that we can find. It says, wisdom is good with an inheritance and advantage to those who see the sun. For the protection of wisdom is like the protection of money. And the advantage of knowledge is that wisdom preserves the life of him who has it. So as we, are, as we live seeking God's wisdom, we can then see life more clearly as we live day by day. Solomon here gives, again, just breaks down some very practical things that such wisdom that comes from God gives great value in the arenas of life. And the illustration he uses here is, is physical wealth. An inheritance can be a good thing. I mean, money is not only necessary to make it through life, right? You have to have uh, something to pay your bills with. But it can be used in a great way and leveraged for God. But only if it is paired with wisdom. What good is an inheritance if there's no wisdom to accompany it? A fortune is wasted on one who has no wisdom. Solomon says being wise has great rewards in our lives. How we handle the things that God entrusts to us says a lot about our relationship with the Lord and, our, and, and the wisdom we experience from him. Wisdom, Solomon says, offers one great protection in life. It helps him to make wise choices that will preserve his life. And he compares uh, wisdom uh, to the, you know, for the protection of wisdom is like the protection of money. Sure, you know, money can offer someone protection in a very real sense, right? They can go out and buy this or that or hire this person or that. But Solomon says wisdom is the same is a far greater value and protection because godly wisdom comes from a relationship with God and that is the greatest thing anyone can ever possess. So wisdom allows us to use God's gifts most effectively and see that they that the greater value though isn't the things that we have but a relationship with the God we serve and that's where he brings us. He brings us all the way uh, in this section to this argument that yes there is great value in wisdom. And that wisdom comes from a greater God. Consider the work of God. Who can make straight what he has made crooked? In the day of prosperity, be joyful. And in the day of adversity, consider. God has made the one as well as the other, so that man may not find out anything that will be after him. 
Wisdom turns us to consider the Lord. He sets the courses of our lives. He ordains the things that we face. The good gifts that we have in our lives, we enjoy from the hand of the Lord. The trials we face, he has placed or allowed in our lives. The consequences of sin that we experience, he has set forth as this is how it works. So what does Solomon say? He says that we should consider the work of God because we can't make straight the paths that he has made crooked. What does he mean by that statement? He means that we cannot understand that which belongs to God's infinite knowledge. We can complain to God and look to find fault with him all we want, but we cannot force him to change. So what does he say we should do? If this is who God is, if if wisdom brings us to seeing that, that this is our great God that we serve, what are we to do in that wisdom? In the day of prosperity and goodness, let us rejoice. Let us be thankful. When we enjoy the blessings of God on our lives, let us put that in this proper perspective and realize he is the one who has given us those things. And in the day of adversity, right? In the day of, of, of hardship, what are we to do? Complain? No, we're to consider. We're to, to look at, at who he is and and what he's done. We are to learn from him. Because God has made both. He has given us the things to enjoy and times to rejoice. He has brought us through hardship and pain. He is in control and he has baffled the vaunted wisdom of man to show us his greatness. Because God is the source of all wisdom. And so we cannot know these things without a proper perspective of him and a proper relationship with him. Godly wisdom grants us a better eternal perspective on the things of this life, helping us live to the glory of God. So as you get to the end of this, you have to understand this. Living wisely doesn't just happen. You don't like wake up one day like, oh, I am wise now, right? Um, It's a process, right? It's comes through living out a relationship with God. Walking with him. It begins with us committing our lives to the Lord, relinquishing our feeble attempts at controlling life and realizing our certain doom if we do not trust him as our savior. And then that wisdom doesn't just grow on its own. We have to nurture it, seeking out the word of God, walking through life with the proper perspective that the Lord provides. Life's hard experiences can teach us valuable lessons and make us wiser if we will submit ourselves to them and to the Lord's work. Trials make us want to chafe under God's work. We feel hardship and heartache and we're tempted to run and hide. Maybe that's something you face. We're tempted to shut out the world and run to acts of folly. But we need to hold fast to the ways and the will of God. We need to rest in him alone, looking for his guiding hand of wisdom every day. God is sovereign and in control. We can rest in him, enjoying the life he has given us with his wisdom. We can learn more about him in ourselves, finding our identity in him each day 
as we submit to him and trust him more and more. Father, thank you for the day you've given us to be in your house. Thank you for allowing us the privilege to study the word of God together, to consider these things. Lord, we look at the life of Solomon and we are awed by um, what he has written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. We are moved by what he has experienced in his life as the wisest man who ever lived, but also one who tried just about everything he could find. Lord, we aren't all in that position. We are not, our lives are not so unlimited, so to speak, as Solomon's was. So help us tonight, Lord, to, to take instruction and wisdom from your servant. Help us to see that what he says aren't just nice words on a page, but they are lived out and proven truths for all time because they are eternal truths. Help us to live in the wisdom of God. Help us to seek the things of the Lord, seek to apply the word of God to our lives that we may live it out each and every day. Lord, we are tempted to run and hide. We are tempted to cover up um, the the hard times we experience in life with uh, foolishness. We are tempted to um, live in a vacuum, an echo chamber where whatever decisions we make will just be reinforced no matter how sinful they may be. But help us, Lord, to make wise choices, to surround ourselves with those who will challenge us. And may we be humble and willing to submit to you. Lord, may we, even in these hard, difficult times we face in life, be able to live out the wisdom of God and trust you in it. We pray now, as we close this service and go into our weeks, that you would be honored and glorified in how we live our lives. In your name we pray. Amen.